The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey everybody, Chris Peters here, and it's another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It is episode 85 of the podcast, and we are talking NHL draft today. Got a great show for you. I was at the Combine, but I kind of wasn't. We'll explain that in a little bit. And I'll also have a guest today, Mike Morial, who I'll bring in in just a second. But before we do that, wanted to let you know, there is a ton of NHL draft content on Flow Hockey right now. You can get my full draft rankings my full first mock draft. Also, a number of video scouting reports on players like Zach Benson and Braden Yeager and Colby Barlow and, I don't know, some guy named Connor Bedard. You can find all of that on flowhockey.tv. You can also subscribe to the Flow Hockey YouTube channel where we have plenty more content there as well as clips from this very podcast. And, of course, you can watch every single episode of Talking Hockey Sense on YouTube as well. So without further ado, I can't wait to bring in our guest for today. He is Mike Morial from the NHL.com, from the NHL.com, from NHL.com. <laughs> yes, the NHL.com. Uh, he is one of the premier writers about the NHL draft. He also covers the New Jersey Devils. He's a New Jersey High School Hockey Hall of Famer, if I'm, if I'm correct, Mike. I think I say that every time I've had you on the show. Uh, but, Mike, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Great to have you back. It's great to be here, Chris. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. It was, uh, it was disheartening uh, and actually... On Saturday during the testing day, I actually saw you Friday during the the media veils for uh, for the three big prospects. But uh, you know, everyone was asking, "Where is Chris Peters? Where is Chris <laughs> Peters?" On Saturday during the testing, and and then I, you know, ultimately I had no idea, of course. And then ultimately, I saw your tweet uh, about feeling, you know, a little bit under the weather. So we were all all disheartened by that because we love your presence uh, we love what you bring to the table every time <laughs> you're around so it was unfortunate but i'm glad to be on the program with you today buddy <laughs> yeah well it's good to have you yes so i got sick on saturday i was feeling great friday went to the availabilities even went out to dinner had a good time with a few friends woke up the next morning and i was just dripping sweat from a fever and i 
yeah, we had a little virus go through our family. Don't want to get you into the gory details of it, but it forces me to miss the biggest day of the draft, you know, the draft combine, which is Saturday, which is testing day, which is a great chance to meet a lot of prospects. And that is exactly why I had Mike on here, because not only was he there Saturday, he was there for most of the week talking to players. He's got a great setup there. It's like once you get a player, he's just got grilled by Steve Eiserman. Next, he's got to go talk to Mike Morial in the in another room <laughs> and Adam Kimmelman. I mean, just, oh, man, what a, 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 I could not ask for a worse fate if I'm that young player. Uh, but I'm just kidding. Mike is <laughs> Mike. Mike asks some of the best questions. And certainly every time I'm in a scrum with him, I steal all of his quotes. So uh, but but Mike, <laughs> you know, first of all, like I said, you, you cover the draft extremely well. You're very you know, you've got a, a really great insight into central scouting. You get a good setup at the at the combine. But the big thing about the combine, it, it's not always about the physical testing. A lot of it really does have to do with the interview process. And so these players are uh, they're as polished as they've ever been. They're well prepared. They, they tend to have a lot of good answers. But were there any players that you either heard about or heard from or that you interviewed yourself that you thought, you know, that's a pretty impressive individual or maybe they surprised you with something or maybe there was something memorable that came out of your interactions with some of these draft prospects? Yeah, Chris, uh, thank you for that. And, you know, as you were talking there, the, the, the first player, I, you know, I, I have to mention, and that was so impressive to me, was Leo Carlson. Now, I, I, I know I know that, you know, he's a, he's a top-level elite prospect of this draft. He's probably going to go top three, top four somewhere. Uh, but the thing that really sticks about, about Leo, and, and again, we, we've spoken about this. I mean, I, I probably talked to about maybe 20, 25 prospects uh, while I was there, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one type situation, including Leo. But the thing about Leo that really impressed me, Chris, and, and, and you've spoken to him, you know what he's all about. You know, he, he deals openly with the starter that he deals with a, as a player. And when he came into our room and we had him on our podcast, the NHL Draft Class podcast, and before we started the interview, you know, I asked him, I, I says, are you okay if we talk about this? Because I, I, I think, you know, for people that young kids that maybe want to get into hockey or even anything else, some type of profession that are dealing with this, um, I, I think it's important you know, for people, uh, you know, of your statue, where you're going, where you're headed as a professional athlete, that maybe you can make a difference in their in their lives. And and sure enough, Leo, you know, said, yeah, no problem. And, you know, we discussed that and, and that'll be on our podcast, the, the interview. Um, but it was just impressive how he, you know, he he said he wanted to talk about it. He did. He said it's, you know, it's something that he's dealt with as a young kid uh, since he was a young kid. And it hasn't really, you know, phased him. He says hockey was a great outlet for him in dealing with it. And he says, you know, you would think that it would, uh, you know, uh, set him. He said sometimes people think it'll set me back or set you back in some ways. But he goes, you know what? Everyone was so supportive of me in the locker room, on the ice. He says it was great. And to me, like, that's, those are some of those feel-good stories that you find in the, and that, you know, at, at the combine that maybe – uh, you didn't really consider at first, but, you know, I read about it. I knew about it a little bit, but I never really wanted to openly discuss it with him because I didn't know how open he was about it. But that was one thing that really, you know, caught my eye. You know, Oliver Moore uh, for the National Team Development Program, uh, his billet family uh, being on the flower farm, I thought was it was a great story. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I asked Oliver about it. We, we chatted about it. And 
I says, you know, did you have to work on the farm? Did you have to pick flowers? Did you put together bouquets? And he's like, nah, he's like, you know, they want to, you know, every morning I, I got some eggs. I had to, you know, help out eating the eggs in the morning. And <laughs> they had a bar- they had a barn for him uh, with a net and the mom and dad there that own the, the, the flower farm. And he, he shot, they have two sons. So the sons are out there shooting pucks with them every day. And I says, well, did, so you didn't do any work, but so what, what did you actually do? And he was like, well, I just followed how they were actually um, running the business. And they openly discussed the business with entrepreneurs that want to put together flower farms and, and want to build some type of farm in some capacity. And they used Oliver as someone that, you know, never gives up the work habits he puts in, uh, the hard work and becoming a professional athlete. And he was used in that regard. They had him on video. They had him on audio segments. So I thought that was that was really uh, that was really interesting. Nick Lardis, um from the OHL in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Chris started the year in Peterborough. Uh, yep. Wasn't having that great a season. Um, and then, you know, the trade comes at the deadline. He goes to Hamilton. He starts lighting it up. You know, I asked him about, well, you know, how does that happen as well? You know, and obviously it was a little regarding a little bit more ice time, um, a little bit more confidence in what he was doing. They had him in different situations on the power play, the PK. But these are things you always want to try to grasp and and try to gather at the combine because you're not really sure what the player is thinking or what maybe was going through his mind in certain situations. And the other thing, Chris, that you know I, I thought was, um, was interesting too is Kerry Terrence, a uh, player from Erie. Um, and it's it's very rare. And you obviously have a greater background with the program, the national team development program that I do. Um, but it's very rare to have now, now players have come over to compete mm-hmm. with the U S team at the U 18s, but is it rare to have a player directly from the Canadian hockey league come and join the club at the U you know, at the U 18s. And he did fairly well. And I wanted to get the dynamic there. What was it like? I mean, you weren't with this team for much of the season. Was it hard to just go right in, you know, when you get to Switzerland and, and, and join this team? He says, you know what? He says, they brought me in. He goes, it was fantastic. The guys, everyone came over, talked to me. We were like brothers right from the outset, you know, stuff like that. It, it you feel good about it. And, and, you know, you hear stories about the NTTP, but it's stories like that that make you say, you know what? They really do have something going there at the program. Yeah, you know, and and to that point, you know, it is it is pretty rare to bring a player in from the CHL. It's happened before, but it, it doesn't happen very often. And you know, I think one of the things that he was able to bring to the table is something, you know, Oliver Moore who you also mentioned, one of the best skaters in the draft, Kerry Terrence, the same like he is an yes. absolute speed demon yep. out there. And they needed guys to play with that pace and so he was able to, you know, he 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 actually ended up getting a, a piece of the the puck while he was falling down for the game-tying goal. Uh, that we initially thought was scored by Cole Eiserman, he deflected it. Um, and so the, not only that, they were putting him out in a late game situation, a must score situation. He was out for that team. So it just shows how quickly he was able to build that trust. And I did want to go back to Leo Carlson for just a second too, because you know you got to get him in a one-on-one setting. We also got him in a, in a large media availability where he was mm. on a stage in front of all of us and, you know, he he said that, you know, his stutter definitely it's it, it's not as pronounced when he's speaking in Swedish. But, you know, the fact that he's able to speak a second language as well as he does and, you you know, and, and just 
the the confidence that he projects is always something that strikes me about Leo Carlson. Absolutely. So I'm not, I, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not surprised to hear that. And the other thing about Leo is that, you know, I think that there are a lot of NHL teams, you know, I, I don't think it's a, it's a hundred percent guaranteed that Adam Fantilli is the number two pick because Leo Carlson has put himself in a position both as a player and as a person, you know, just the, I think anybody that meets him instantly seems to like the kid, you know? And so He's yeah. got that going for him as well, which 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 helps an awful lot. But but yeah, and, and and also on Nick Lardis, not only did he have that tremendous second half, he was one of the top performers at physical testing. And so I did want to talk a little bit about the physical testing stage. Is it going to make or break a player in in any in the NHL draft? I don't think so. But when you're a guy like Nick Lardis, who has a lot to prove, who you know didn't necessarily have that high end draft pedigree. You put yourself on the map a little bit when you have when you're a top performer in a number of of events. So I was just wondering, Mike, from from the physical testing standpoint, if there were any other standout performers, different things that you heard from either scouts or strength and conditioning, whoever you may have talked to or other players about that process and and some of the standouts from that. Yeah, I mean, first off, you know, I'll get to your last question there, Chris, with regard to some of the standouts and. It's funny, and I'll start with Lardis because he had uh, he had 15 pull-ups. And it's interesting yeah. here is that, you know, Connor Bedard went and did 14 pull-ups, and he, he he jumped to the top of the list, and then Nick Lardis comes in with the 15 spot. So you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's you know, quite a lot for, yeah. for Nick to come in and, and do that. So Bedard, you know, 14 pull-ups, and he was actually tied with, with Danny Nelson uh, of the NTTP. Yep. Uh, Bradley Nadeau, uh, Penticton was in there too. And I, I believe defenseman Cam Allen of Guelph also, also had 14. Yes. But in, a, in yeah. addition to the pull-ups, Lourdes had the highest, uh, vertical jump. Um, so he, he was right in there, you know, as far as the testing goes, I know defenseman Jordan Tourney of Sherwinigan in the queue led all players in the VO2 max test. I think it was a little over 13 and a half minutes. Michael Robble yeah, of Omaha. To, yep. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It, oh, it's 13. <laughs> are you kidding me? 13 and a half? No. Um, no, thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Bedard, I think, lasted 12 minutes uh, on the VHR, which yeah. is also kind of yeah, insane. Yeah, Bedard, we, that, that, we should mention that. Like, Connor Bedard had a very good combine and had he zero did. reason yes. to participate. Like, I mean, there was nothing, nothing yeah. to gain from it. And that speaks, I think, a little bit to the competitive drive of Connor Bedard that he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson, if I'm not mistaken, did not participate, but they they did just come back from the world championship. So totally understandable to not, because there is some level of training that has to go into preparing for this because you can't just go in and just do all those. You have to have some level of training and a lot of the players do have time. Those two guys didn't have as much time. And you know what, Chris, as a follow-up there and, and something I thought that was interesting, Yomar Kekalainen, GM for Columbus actually spoke later on, on on Saturday when the combine was almost coming to a close. And he said two interesting things um, that I want to share. First, he was asked about the Fantilli and Carlson opting out of the testing. And and believe it or not, he was disappointed that that they didn't hmm. test. He he said, you know, I think they could have at least sort of showed up, in my opinion, gone through some of the testing. He says, if you're not medically clear to test, then no problem. But, you know, I think it would have been good to see them test, go through the floor and do some of the tests if they could do that. And it wouldn't have any lingering effects uh, from their season that just ended. So I, I kind of thought, 
I kind yeah, of that's interesting. Isn't that isn't that interesting? Like Yoma would but go, that, but now go neither out. one of them has an advantage over the other. <laughs> that's the right. Blue Jackets room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but the other thing too that I want to share is is Kerkalainen. Um, we we asked him like, is there any particular test that you really watch or that your scouts really view as important? And he says he watches the three vertical jumps uh, real closely: the vertical leap, uh, the squat jump, and the no arm jump. So all three are performed on a force plate, right? Uh, yep. And the leaps are measured by inches uh, of lift off the plate. So uh, Yarmo, uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember the quote. He said, if, "If there's a concern about skating and the guy can't get off the force plate, that kind of confirms the concerns that you have on yep. skating." And then on the other hand, if you see someone who looks really fast on the ice, like the players we just spoke of, Oliver Moore, you know, Kerry uh, Terrence, uh, then they can fly off that thing. It's like, okay, there's a reason why he's such a good skater. So, I, you know, I thought that was, that was interesting that Yarmo kind of has that yeah. in the back of mind thinking about those kind of aspects of the, tra- of the testing part. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, like, that that was something that he did. That was actually, that is also the one that I look closest at as well for that yep. reason. And in a guy like Nick Lardis, who is a good skater, but I don't think anybody would call him an elite skater in the class. He's certainly one of the better skaters, but like he was, he dominated at those, those kind of things. And so that gives you a whole different kind of perspective on, on, on that or it, or, or it confirms things, or it gives you reason to concern, have, have other concerns, you know, other high-end athletes. So some of the big guys, you mentioned Danny Nelson, he's a bigger player, you know, going, it's hard for big guys to do the pull-ups like that. And he, he managed to crush, you know, 14 of those, um, you know, the VO two max and different things like that. They, they certainly help a lot to, to, you know, judge athleticism. I think sometimes on the pull-ups, you're looking to see if, you know, is it, how hard is a guy going to fight to make this work? Um, you know, and, and so there's all different kind of things that come from it. Um, but yeah, but really fascinating real quick, stuff from Yarmo as well. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. As you're talking there, Chris, I'm remembering, you know, in years past, right. A, a big deal was made over the fact that a player such as Sam Bennett, Casey Middlestack couldn't complete a, a single chin up right at the combine. Yeah, yeah, and, and here yeah. you have Bennett, has already played nine full NHL seasons. He reached the Stanley Cup final, uh, a valiant effort by, by the Florida Panthers. And then Middlestat just finished his fifth season w- with the Sabres, had career highs and goals, assist points, I believe. So you know what? You just have to push, right, Chris? That, that, that's what it's yeah. all about. As long as you show these scouts, these general managers, that you're willing to give maximum effort. And if that means struggling to maybe get even one pull-up, then it's then it's worth it. That's what they want to see. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think I think the combine is 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 very interesting. Like you know, and a lot of the you know you'll see the GMs and you'll probably see scouting directors there. But like they send a lot of their area scouts home. They, they let the strength and conditioning coaches yeah. watch those things. You know, so they get reports on that as well. But you know, it's always fascinating to see who's there watching, and they are watching, and they're not watching because they want to see the. They'll get the numbers later. They want to see how the guy looks while doing it, and and I think it's just that that push for more and more information. Um, you know, Mike, you had a chance to talk to to a lot of a lot of different players. You obviously have also done a ton of content for uh, NHL.com, including mock drafts and different things like that. Um, but, you know, since you did mention some of the stuff that Jarmo Kekalainen had, had said, and, and of course, GM of the, the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, 
I don't know how many other executives you had a chance to talk to, but was there any other kind of different, I don't know, buzz or different things that, you know, they were talking about whether it was certain players, how guys interviewed, um, if there was anybody that, you know, any kind of scuttlebutt in terms of, you know, who's really rising or, you know, maybe not um, that, that came out of that. Or was there anything that you just kind of like, oh, you know, you kind of make note of. And that seems to be that's why I was so disappointed to miss Saturday, because that's typically what will happen. You'll get that that little nugget of something that you hear here or there from from different people that you talk to. I just wonder if there was anything that that kind of uh, spike, sparked your interest that, that you heard uh, over the course of the, the weekend there. Yeah, well, there were there were a few um, there were a few executives that I was able to you know shoot the breeze with a little bit, and and um, it seems like as far well even Yarmo he he was asked about a possible trade about trading down if there was a possibility there, um, mm-hmm. and he said and I would and I spoke to one other executive and they said the same thing that it's it's been very difficult to really put together a trade for a high draft pick in this draft. And I think it just has to do with the fact that it is a a decent draft. And, you know, this is a draft that's full of elite caliber forwards. We're seeing a a number of elite caliber forwards and and sentiment, right-handed sentiment. Yes, there are some good defensemen in this draft as well, right-handed D. Um, But it seems like forward-wise, if you're looking to stockpile, uh, you know, possible, uh, you know, top six, maybe a, a middle six type forward. This is the draft to do it. So a lot of a lot of teams want to stockpile their draft picks and but it's been very difficult to 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 make these trades uh for either high picks or to get multiple picks in the draft. I believe right now there might be six or seven teams with multiple picks um in, yeah. in the first round with the St. Louis Blues, I believe having three. Um but uh, besides that, you know, also Chris, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people about just the overall experience of the combine. And, and I just yeah. do want to mention that, that NHL central scouting, the city of Buffalo, the NHL, they really do a, a real good job with this. I mean, there's been some Absolutely. talk about what's going to happen, you know, when the Sabres finally <laughs> get good and they start getting, you know, re- going one, two, three rounds into the playoffs. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen then? Apparently they have a plan, but they're not going to tell us. So we'll find out, I guess, when it happens. But for the for, in the meantime, it, it's it really is, uh, you know, an experience in Buffalo. I think they've really um, it, it's at a point right now where it's, it runs like clockwork. It's a well well oiled machine the way they operate going into Saturday with the testing. Um, so I asked a lot of the executives too, and and, and and several scouts about the interviewing process and. Um, if they still ask those wacky questions, a lot of a lot of the uh, executives say they they don't like asking those questions anymore because it right. kind of makes the players uncomfortable, particularly the European players. And I talked to Mike uh, Dennehy uh, about this, the the director of amateur scouting for the Chicago Blackhawks, and he says we don't ask, yep. you know, what animal do you think you'd be, or some of those crazy. <laughs> Somebody some did those... this year. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah, that was the big question last year. But I think a right. lot of the players right. knowing that that question was asked last year kind of prepared for it. So for instance, right. a player like uh, a, a player like uh, Mateo Mann uh, from Chicoutimi in, in the Quebec major junior hockey league, uh, Mateo 
said that he knew that this question was going to be asked. And it was, I think he told me of his, I think he had seven or eight interviews. He said of those interviews, maybe two or three teams did ask him about the, ask him the animal question. And he says he was prepared. He said a giraffe off the ice and he said a rhino on the ice. Now, rhino, right? Right, Chris, this kid goes about six, five, 230 He's, he's pounds. a large so he human. He can say, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes, he, he, yeah, he can say the rhino. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. If Gavin Brindley said rhino, we'd we'd have. Although he, I, I say I say bulldog for Gavin Brindley, but um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, or pit bull maybe actually. Yeah, so so yeah, but the no, and and honest, I'm glad you brought that up too because I do think that there was, you know, at some point those questions. What value do they really present? You know, a lot of a mm. lot of teams have also started engaging more sports psychologists, more, um, uh, performance people and different, mm-hmm. you know, different people that, that, that have that, you know, and I've always thought too, like NHL teams should invest more in journal journalists, you know, and have, you know, start asking some of those, 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 those fair questions or those hard, those hard hitting questions. I don't know if I'm making a plug for, for journalists, for, for scouting staffs or whatever, but, but, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the fact is, is like, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that you, I, I think putting those players in, in positions where they're going to be uncomfortable with questions. And there have definitely been questions over the years that probably crossed the line at some point, but yeah. I, I did not hear that at all this time around. I think there's a lot more that, you know, players are are prepared for. The one thing I did hear from, from some NHL teams was just how polished a lot of players are in this oh, setting. Yeah. Now they're much more polished and prepared than they have been in years previous. And that actually, they don't like that. You know, because it's like you're not you don't feel like you're getting to know the real person, um, which I think is is a, a factor. You know, you want to you want to get to know these guys on a personal level. And and the key thing that you'll tell every player is just be yourself. It's really hard when you're you have your whole life ahead of you. And you this is the biggest, you know, the biggest interview you've ever been on and probably the first interview you've ever been on. So it's it's an interesting factor there. But so many interesting things. One thing I did want to ask you about, it was also about who wasn't there, uh, you know, and, and we, you know, Dan Marr was asked, the, the director of central scouting was asked about the Russian prospects at the NHL draft. He did say that they did put out invitations to those players, but it was basically, you know, if you can get here, great. If not, you know, if you're, if you happen to be in the country, there wasn't going to be like an extra, you know, you couldn't really getting players visas and different things like that is a, is a much bigger challenge and given the current state of affairs so we didn't have any russian players there so i won't ask you about them not being there what i will say though is obviously this year matvey mitchkov is the is the guy that we're all going to talk about but dmitry simishev mikhail gulayev daniel boot they're players that that have a, a real opportunity you know to go in the first round or to to be you know higher picks in this draft did you get any sense from anybody there about whether there's more hesitancy, less hesitancy, or if, you know, or, or also particularly as it pertains to Mitchkov, who is such a special player, like, cause I've, you know, I've talked to a few teams or I've talked to a few sources throughout the league, but that'll say, you know, there are some teams that still very much believe Matthew Mitchkov should be among the, you know, the first five picks of this draft, whether or not that happens is another story. So I, I don't know if you, if you caught any wind of anything or, or anything based on what you've heard given the Matt Vay Mitchkov situation. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and it's, you know, it's funny you raised this question. This was, this was something that uh, Adam Kimmelman 
uh, my colleague at NHL.com and I ha- have discussed a lot on our on our podcast, and um, and it should be discussed, right, Chris? And uh, yeah. there are a lot of good Russian-born players that are playing overseas this year that legitimately, if they were in the combine and scouts were able to get into Russia to to, to have in-person uh, scouting sessions with these with these players and not just video scouting that a lot of these players would go uh, in the first, second round. Now, that being said, in last year's draft, we were almost in the same position. You know, two Russians were taken in the first round. There were three more taken in the second round. Look, in a hockey bubble, Mitchkov's deserving of the first overall selection. Um, The ongoing war in, in the Ukraine provides a major challenge to selecting this player as does the fact he signed in the KHL through 25-26. If a team is picking that high, it wants some assurances that the player will come over and play. Last year we saw you know, two likely top 10 Russian picks fall to 20 and 24, and Ivan Marishchenko to the Caps, Daniela Yurov to the Wild, respectively. You know, Neither of these, those two, exceptional players, mind you, neither of those two carry the same kind of cachet that, that Mitchkov does. So. Right. That being said, whoever is picking inside the top five is likely a team that needs a player of this caliber sooner rather than later. So if you're able to guarantee that you can get the player out of the country, you then have a lengthy contract with his SKA club in in Russia you'll have to negotiate out of. You know, for these reasons, it's not out of the question a player of Mishkov's talent falls on draft day. But when talking to a lot of scouts, and basically I was asking scouts about this, not necessarily exec- the few executives that I was able to talk to, but some of the scouts, it's just a little up in the air. They don't know how to gauge, and the majority of the the people that I spoke to, Chris, said they won't, this is probably something that won't be determined until a day or two probably before the draft, because they'd want to get right. all the information needed as close to the draft as possible to find out the status, what's going on with the players, these particular players. But there's no question, Chris, that these are exceptionally talented players. And we both know after maybe the first three or four picks anyway, maybe even the top pick, uh, you know, I don't have the percentages in front of me, but these guys have to marinate. They have to develop. They have to grow. They have to learn particularly when they're playing overseas before they get to North America and play in the best league in the world. So to me, what's the difference? Like if you have a chance to get a player that let's face it a year and a half ago, we were comparing him to Connor Bedard. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Is Matt and, Mitchkoff- and it was, yeah, yeah, it wasn't. And it's not a stretch. And I, I know people balk at that when we, when we talk about that, I'm, I'm, I'm Mike, I'm, this is a player that is incredibly special. I mean, is he, yeah it's it's insane how smart he is with the puck on his stick. I mean, it, it really is. And I, you would put him ahead of Bedard in that category, which just seems insane to say, but that's what we've seen. And and in these head-to-head settings. And so now, according, like I've heard that Mitchkov's coming to the draft, which is interesting. Now, I, I, I haven't independently confirmed that, but I've heard from multiple people that he's going to come, which means that there are probably going to be, uh, there's going to be a rush to try for teams to try to meet with him in person. And you're right. It could come down to those last two days before the draft. And then all of a sudden it's like, are we doing it or are we not? And, right. you know, I, I think, I think we talked, I talked about it on last week on the podcast. I think you could start having discussion more seriously at seven 
is the more seven to nine. I think, I don't think he goes beyond those picks because Mm. there is a gigantic gap to me, at least for me between him and whoever else would be there. Um, You know, because he is that special of a talent, but it's going to be fascinating to see. It's certainly the question of the drafts want to be one of the most fun things to track because nobody really knows for sure. Um, Who's to say that the, that, you know, the ducks don't throw the most gigantic curveball that we couldn't possibly imagine, (laughs) but but that's funny you say that because you know you're getting fans on Twitter you know after after I tweet out you know hey this is where I have Mitchkoff going in my mock draft and then uh, in my first mock draft I had him going number three and my in this past mock draft after the combine I had him going six now in my last mock draft I'll probably have him going high again just because it's been fluctuating <laughs> so much based on what I'm hearing what I'm seeing what I'm reading so it's it's ridiculous but when you wherever you have him ranked, like fans will tweet back at you. Oh, I'm so glad you have him going, have him going later because now I know that you know my Anaheim. Now I know that San <laughs> yeah. Jose has a chance to select him. So I'm yeah. thinking to myself, yeah. Well, maybe the fans are willing to wait, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know, the, the the interesting thing, Mike, is that now more people have access, and you know, we cover this. A lot of people cover this. There's never been more access to information about these players. You're getting to learn about them yeah. more, and that, and if you listen to this podcast, you're getting a chance to learn about. So yeah, so I mean, I I think it's fascinating. I think there's so much that I can't wait to you know to dive into even more. But you know, Mike, this 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 whole draft season, it's been it's been absolutely wild to follow. I mean, we've we you know, you've talked to all the top guys. You've been there from the very beginning i mean but now we're almost to the end and it's been a it's been a very fun fun one to track so uh i i just have my my last question for you you know we've we've talked a lot about him we're going to continue to talk a lot about him you know the 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 generational term has gotten talked tossed around about Connor bedard you know you've spoken with him you've watched him you've been around him um you know i i mean just how special, you know, in, in the years that you've been doing this, where you've been focused on the draft, you know, and that goes back a ways and, and you've been able to, to talk to many of the top players. Are there any commonalities between Connor Bedard and the big Davids and the Jack Hughes and the different guys that, you know, you've, you've spoken with that have been number one picks. And then maybe what are some of the things that, how are the ways that you found him differently? Not, not just as a hockey player, but as a person having had more interaction with him. Yeah. Great question, Chris. And, and I'll, and I'll say this, two, two, two things here. First, on the ice. And a lot of times, you know, when I'm hearing, you know, a lot of pundits, a lot of people predicting what Bedard will be in the NHL, I hear, okay, he's got the shot of Austin Matthews and he's got the skating of Connor McDavid. I'll, I'll, I'll say the Austin Matthews comparison is right there. If not Bedard, you know, at his age, once he, you know, another three, four years in the NHL to think that it's going to get even better is just a scary thought. But the shot is just yeah. incredible. So the skating thing is what has me on the fence a little bit. And right. here's why. So McDavid, to me, is the best skater in the world. There's no there's no Ever. question yeah. about it. Um, yeah. North, south, power, that's Connor McDavid, allowing the puck to do a lot of the work. But he's a north south type skater now bedard when he's coming at you it's more a little bit more east west because what i find and through a lot of video that i've watched and i've seen him live uh, several times too with regina top prospects 
when he's skating at an opposing defenseman or an opposing player, whoever it might be, he's 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 looking to go east west, and wherever the that opposing player might be uh, tilting, whether it's to the left to the right, then Bedard will take that and either go left or right, depending on how that player is shifting his body weight. So there's a lot going on there, right, Chris? There's IQ oh, going yeah. on there. There's speed. Absolutely. There's lateral movement. There's ability to handle the puck at top speed, which he does. So while I do think he's a very good skater, it's different to me than the way uh, Connor McDavid skates. And it's a good thing. Uh, you know, he, he's yeah. a powerful skater. And who knows? I mean, he's... I mean, he's got the legs, you know, they got the, he's got the tree trunks. I mean, it's ridiculous yeah, watching him yeah, on the he has a when he's going body, at it. Yeah. Yes. It's like Marty St. Louis, right? So um, yeah. he's eventually going to get there with more training and he'll eventually maybe be able to do what McDavid's doing now. But for now, that's the way I see Bedard. But the yeah. thing for me, Chris, and I can't get over this, when I, when I visited Regina and sat down with Bedard for the 15, 20 minutes I had. We sat in the stands, and I've been doing this um, since 08, since I came to, to NHL.com, uh, doing the prospects, the combines. You know, when there's real big names, I'll maybe go out to those cities to, to watch these players if I have the opportunity. And I had the opportunity here to, to go out to Regina. I had a chance to sit down uh, with, with Melanie Bedard, uh, Connor's mom, and we chatted about his life, what it was like growing up, how great a player he is, where he gets all this from, the hardworking family that he's with, with his dad being a logger. Um, you know, and the thing that really strikes me is when, when you sit down with Bedard, you know, he's very personable and wants to know about wants to know about you too. Like he was concerned when I sat down with him. Did you find some place to eat? around here, like I could point you to some different areas or if, you know, <laughs> if you have an off day, I can tell you some, maybe some things to visit, just stuff like that. Like I've never had a 17 year old kid uh, prospect do that. And to me, that's, it, it might sound crazy, Chris, but it just kind of sets them apart. Like those are the things that I remember yeah. um, when you speak to these kids. And the other thing I'll say is that Regina had two big autograph sessions during the course of the season. Both times, they started at about 6.30, 7 o'clock Regina time. And, you know, the PR department told me that they lasted until about 11, 11.30 at night. And Bedard was the only player there with a, with a tremendous, you know, mile-long line, still signing autographs, still taking yeah. pictures. So it's something that's, you know, ingrained in him. It's something that's very important to him, the fans. He always talks about the fans. Um, and... He's going to be that type of player, right, Chris? You could just set, you could just see it. You can sense it in him that he has that Sid type persona about him. That when the time comes and he's mature enough, and maybe he's wearing the C, who knows? That he's going to have those type qualities where he'll sit in front of his stall, speak to the media every night after a game, you know, for fifteen to twenty minutes, do his do the fan stuff with the autographs and be those community, that type of athlete that's a community leader for that organization. Chicago's getting a fantastic pick here, but those are the things that that really stand out to me when I think of Connor Bedard. Yeah, you're so right. I've thought that as well. I think that the thing that sets him apart is that there has never been a brighter spotlight 
on on him mm. like on on any player it feels like like even even mcdavid to a certain extent because mcdavid because mcdavid exists that's only intensified the spotlight on bedard and so he is he's handled it beautifully you know i asked him at the combine before i got sick you know i said i said are you tired like you know is this is this and and it's just he he just views it as part of the process as part of what he has to do and you know he clearly loves the game to a to a degree that few players that you know can really even hold a candle to and then on top of that he is able to you know i think when he in the media sometimes he can come across a little bit more of the the robotic but like you see him interact with right. with other people i mean he's he's kind of going through the motion he's been doing this for over a year where everybody wants a piece of him and he's been very giving of himself to a lot of people and in those autograph sessions and other things like that. And also yep. think about the boon he was for the WHL, where it wasn't just Regina that was selling out games. It was every single building he played in, including some NHL buildings that he was playing in. So uh, pretty amazing to, to see what he did. But Mike, you know, I love I love your work, but I like you even more as a person. You're a great friend and, and really a pleasure to have you on here. You're You're absolutely one of the hardest working people I've ever been around. And so... If anytime I can get insight from you and share it with this audience, I'm going to do it. So thank you so much for coming on Talking Hockey Sense this week. Uh, can't wait to see you in Nashville. It is going to be an absolute blast. That's fabulous. Th thanks so much, Chris. It was a pleasure being on. Keep up the great work. You're fantastic in what you do and promoting the game, promoting the sport, and promoting you know our future stars of tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to Nashville. We got to make we we got to make up some time here, buddy. <laughs> we, we we do we do and i i am i am certain we will so yes <laughs> so thanks a lot mike it's it, it's a pleasure buddy thanks for thanks for popping on with us thanks chris all right mike that is mike morial from nhl.com you can also check him out on nhl draft class and certainly uh read his work there and and sometimes you might even see him pop up on nhl network from time to time so uh mike absolutely one of the nicest guys in the business uh love love having him around but we're going to move on to a Q&A. So we had a great conversation with Mike. I think we even went a little bit longer than we planned to. But I'm going to rip through some questions here that I got from a number of, of listeners. And we've we've gotten, you know, we do this every every episode, but I want to start things off and, and start getting into the Q&A here so that we can uh, hit a few more topics that I might not have hit with, with Mike. And as I mentioned, tons more content on flowhockey.tv, a lot of written stuff coming. There's going to be a little bit more on, you know, uh, the Vegas gold Knights and, you know, what we can learn from them because this is a team that was not really built from the draft, but they did have, uh, have some, uh, some lessons to be learned for the draft. And then we're also going to have more mock drafts and, and certainly, uh, we got to get to our late round sleepers and different things like that, that you'll see soon. All right, so moving on and talking about our, our Q&A, we're going to get our first question here from Corey. And, and Corey asks, how many players do you think play next year in the NHL? It's a great question because I think that the number is, it has the potential to be a small one, actually. As good as this class is and as outstanding as it is, I think it's not a given that we're going to see players come in. I think there's going to be a maximum of three players that we see enter the NHL next season. Now that could be, maybe shift that by a number or two. I do think Connor Bedard is going to be ready to go to the NHL. I do think Adam Fantilli is ready as well, but I don't know with 100% certainty, given whatever situation the NHL team that takes him in, uh, you know, do they need him right away? Like, so let's say Columbus takes him. I think they absolutely have him in the lineup right away. 
Anaheim in a bit of a different phase of their rebuild, maybe they allow him to go back to Michigan for another year because we saw what a tremendous benefit that was to Matty Beneers and Owen Power. That said, Adam Fantilli just won the Hobie Baker, so maybe not. We'll see. Uh, and then Leo Carlson, I think, has a chance to play in the NHL, but I think it's much more likely he plays a more substantial role in the SHL next season, or you know, and, and then they bring him back to North America a year after that. Uh, again, if Columbus picks him, there could be a case made that they put him on their roster. I don't think he'd be ready to play center in the NHL in year one, but I do think that if you gave him an opportunity to go back to the SHL, play center there all season, and playing against men, I think that might be the best for his long-term development. So, you know, I think that there is a good chance that the only player we see is Connor Bedard. Uh, but that's not, you know, that's not set in stone. So I think Bedard and Fantilli and Carlson are the guys. You know, I don't think Will Smith we'd see right away. Nate Danielson could probably use another year of junior. Um, you know, Zach Benson at his size. I don't think that any team would be rushing him into the NHL. David Reinbacher, you want to maybe get him to North America, maybe do what, what happened with David Juracek last year. See if you can get him into the AHL this year. That might be the best play. Um, so there's, those are the types of things that I could see happening, but not many in the NHL proper. All right, our next question comes from Kenneth. And this is, we get this, Kenneth asked this last week. I wasn't able to get to it. And I'm, I'm glad he asked it again this week on Twitter. And again, you can always hit me up at Chris M. Peters on Twitter. But from Kenneth, he asked, where would you rank Shane Wright if he was in this year's draft? Now, Shane Wright, of course, went fourth overall last year after spending most of the year as the presumed number one. We're not going to have that scenario this year. And I think if you were to put Shane Wright in this draft class, there's a chance he'd be deeper into the top 10. Um, and that's with the benefit of hindsight, because I think that what was exposed a little bit in Shane Wright's game this year was that there is still a, a need for some more maturity, some more strength, a little bit of improvement in various er areas of the game. You know, he's had good moments when he's played at the AHL level this year. Didn't, you know, he went back, had a very strong showing in junior. We expected him to, didn't necessarily have a great playoffs. So, I think that, you know, he would probably slot in for me if it let's let's take away your Slavkovsky, Logan Cooley, you know, and I, I had Cooley as number one last year and, and then right number two. But I think that, you know, where right ended up going may have ultimately been the best spot for him. I think you could potentially even make a case that David Juracek should have gone ahead of him. Um, but again, we're still very early in the process of Shane Wright and, and finding out what he'll ultimately be. But I do think that we're going to see, because of this year's draft, I, I would absolutely have Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, possibly Will Smith, you know, ahead of him in that in that case. You know, I think that you could make a case for for a couple of the other guys, Ryan Leonard, um, but I think rare in that that maybe five, six, seven range is where I would start to see um, uh, Shane Wright, and that I'd also have Mitchkov ahead of him as well. So good question. I don't think there's anything to worry about in terms of Shane Wright's long-term projection, just because we're putting him further back in this draft. But absolutely. I think that we, we, we ran into a hype machine last year. It didn't really come to four. The teams cooled on it at the right time. I think the Seattle Kraken are still going to have a player that's going to be with them for a long time, but in the end, he would have gone lower in this year's draft. All right, our next question comes from Jesse, and this touches on the Russian prospect thing. Extremely selfish question here. Any chance that Daniel Boot is still available at 21? After the Minnesota Wild snagged Yurov at 24 last year, I wouldn't mind taking another high-ceiling Russian winger that other teams are afraid to take with their first. 
absolutely a possibility. I think that that Daniel Boots is is one of the most intriguing players of this entire draft. A six foot five forward that can score. Not a great skater, but high end hands, good shot. I think that he's going to be the kind of guy that will probably slide in that could be in that twenty, maybe that that eighteen to twenty three range could be a range that we see Daniel Boot go because he has those 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 skills on top of that big frame. Just like all the other Russian players, there is going to be a, an element of risk. I think the teams will cool on that a little bit. You know, I, I think that if they if they feel that that player, especially in the twenties, that's that's where I think you start to feel more comfortable taking him. I think if you're a team that had multiple first round draft picks, you're emboldened to take a swing on a higher upside player. But if you're the Minnesota Wild and he's there now, you've already got Yurov. Do you want to double down on the Russian front? Maybe. Um, you'll also have to see what else is available to you. And, you know, I think that getting another scoring winger, getting more goal support absolutely would go a long way for the Minnesota Wild. I think you can't have enough skill. Uh, Daniel Boot has plenty of it, but certainly there's there's the risk factor there because he is still pretty raw as well. All right, our next question as we move on from that. Great question. I love talking about Daniel, Yurov, or Daniel, Daniel Boot and Daniel Yurov, who is a very good player as well. But this one comes from Brian, and we're going to go back to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And they say, and he asks, if the Columbus Blue Jackets select Leo Carlson at number three, is a realistic timeline next season, given it sounds like he's headed back to the Swedish League? So we did touch on this. I think that the best path forward for him is probably Sweden. But I think if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, maybe you try to give him every opportunity in camp to see if he can be a fit for your roster right now. And if he's not, you send him back. I don't think there's any sense in rushing a player. And and you are often going to make more mistakes. There's very few players that come too late. There are scores of players that came too early. And and so I would say that that, that Leo Carlson is a great example of a player that's kind of in the middle right now. And there are things that he can learn in Sweden. It doesn't matter that he's not playing on North America ice. He just needs to play center as a pro more. He's not going to be able to do that in Columbus, I don't think. Um, We'll see if there are other options available to them. I don't think that the AHL would be an option given his age and and the way that Sweden kind of works with their contracts. So I think that he would have to go back to, um, to Sweden. And Ultimately, that may be the best move long-term for him. It would be disappointing, I think, if you are a Columbus Blue Jackets fan to, to have to send him back. But nobody else you're picking there has even an inkling of a chance, I don't think, to make it in the NHL next season. All right, we got one more question, and there are a couple that I didn't get to. I will try to work them in next week, but this one comes from Full Metal Ninja, and this is going in a different direction, so we're not just talking about all the top guys here. This this question is the most overlooked prospects every year seemingly are guys who skate fast, play with ill intent, and intimidate on the ice. Who are the wrecking balls that every other city will hate, but teammates and hometown fans will love? That's a good question. And actually, I said it we wouldn't talk about it as much for the top guys, but probably one of the biggest wrecking balls in this draft is Adam Fantilli. He's the number two prospect on our list, largely because of the the aggression that he plays with and that that speed that he has on top of the high-end skill that he's able to execute with. So that's he's one of them. Another guy to keep in mind, he's not necessarily a big guy, but he's, he's a guy that I think plays with reckless abandon and is very in-your-face and gritty, and that's Callan Lind. He's a, he goes after 
everybody. Uh, he was a, he was just, <laughs> he's a, he's a bit of a pest. And then he also plays physically. He's hard on the four check. He's not afraid to drop the gloves. You know, I think that's, that guy plays with a lot of aggression. I think you see elements of that from Ryan Leonard. You know, I think that you can see elements of that, even from Colby Barlow at times that not that he's running guys over, but he plays with that, some of that aggressiveness. Um, you know, I think Charlie Stramel is another guy with just that size, the burliness when he does hit, it makes a, it makes a statement. Um, so not a guy that skates fast or is a forward, but one of the hardest hitters of this draft is Brady Cleveland, who is uh, on our top 100, way towards the back, limited offensive upside, but an incredible athlete, had a very good showing at the at the scouting combine, and he hits people hard. And he also had one of the most violent junior hockey fights I think I've seen in some years earlier this year, um, but very tough plays with a, you know, can play with a bad attitude when he wants to. Um, then there are other guys that aren't necessarily like playing with reckless abandon, but play, you know, the game pretty hard. And, and that's guys I'm thinking like Zach Wisdom from the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, you know, a guy that really gets after it and, you know, is able to 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 get a, be good on the four check and provide some of that. Um, he's got some speed. He's got some good size and strength to him. He's going to Colorado College next year. So, you know, there are a lot of really good players that I think play that physical style game. And, you know, we haven't talked about it much because we've been talking about the draft, but the Vegas Golden Knights just won the Stanley Cup with a big, heavy team. A guy like Keegan Colasar, you know, you hate to see Matthew Kachuk get injured, but Colasar, not just when he was hitting and, and injured Matthew Kachuk, he's a heavy player, plays with a lot of physicality. Nicholas Waugh, same thing, you know, they're guys that are that are bigger, heavier players, and it allows them you know, teams like that to push other teams around. NHL teams are going to do that in a copycat way. There aren't a ton of draft lessons we can learn from the Golden Knights because they mostly traded a lot of their picks. Nick Haig was the only regular that was an originally drafted player. And then they had Zach Whitecloud, who was an undrafted free agent that they signed. But that's a team that plays heavy, hard physical hockey. When Florida was going at their best, Matthew Kachuk was being a, a disruptive player, both physically and with the skill. So, I mean, that's there is still a premium on that. And so those types of players are still going to have a lot of people that are interested in them at the NHL level. But we have run over time, and I am really hoping that you guys enjoyed that. I know I love talking to Mike Morial. I really appreciate everybody that asked questions today. A huge thanks is going to go out to Kyle Grover who produced today's show. Uh, and you know, all of you that have been listening, the numbers continue to go up as we, as we get closer and closer to the draft. Um, you're watching it on YouTube. You're watching it on Flow Hockey. You're downloading it on your audio app of choice, and that is awesome. Please, please consider making a uh, a, a review, a written review on Apple Podcasts, and leave kind ratings and 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 do all that because it really does help the the podcast move up the charts. This is obviously our big time of year. We've got so much coming next week. Is our NHL draft preview special. We'll have so much more. I should have a guest or two, and I'll also have a lot more intel as we head into the draft. You are not going to want to miss that episode. We will get as much information to you as we can to prepare for the draft, which is on June 28th in Nashville. I will be there ready to cover it. Hopefully I won't get sick again and miss things, but I'm really excited to continue on and really excited to bring it all to you right here on Talking Hockey Sense. That is going to do it for this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.